0: Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. Hello and welcome. I'm Adam Huss coming to you from Los Angeles. Thanks for listening. It is my huge pleasure to have Steve Mathiason as my guest for this episode. And what I've recorded for you today is a comprehensive instructional on how to farm grapes organically. Steve uses his over 25 years of experience to take us through an entire year of farming a vineyard. This episode is not so much an interview as a masterclass. If you haven't heard of Steve Mathiason or his winery, Mathiason Wines, let me give you a quick intro. Steve is a six-time James Beard Award nominee for his winemaking. He has been named Winemaker of the Year twice by two different publications. Steve literally wrote the manual on sustainable wine growing in California and Steve is a farmer first. He built a wine business in Napa as a punk rock farmer outsider who makes Napa cab that is 13% alcohol and skin fermented rebola gialla. His accolades as a winemaker belie the fact that his wines simply capture the enormous amount of time and attention and care that he gives to the vineyards he farms. I say all this because in this episode Steve spends very little time talking about himself and his winery. We jump right into the farming, and he gives a comprehensive instructional in viticulture without leaving any time to promote himself. A huge thanks to Steve for graciously laying out his knowledge so selflessly. And I want to warn you, we go deep. So if you aren't that interested in the real detailed how-to of farming grapes, you may be a bit overwhelmed. But if you have any interest in learning the hows, whens, and whats of wine growing, this is an amazing and invaluable episode. Get out some paper. You will want to take notes. And if you want to learn more about this amazing guy and his organic approach to wine, please check out his other great interviews on podcasts such as I'll Drink to That with Levy Dalton or The Grape Nation. Steve's knowledge about and passion for wine is as immense as his generosity of spirit and your life will only be improved by knowing him and his wines better. Enjoy. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate this. It's a, it's a big uh, pleasure to talk to you.
1: Oh, it's an honor. And it's really glad that you're focusing in on organic farming and all of everything in around that with, within the wine industry.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I know that for you is where it all begins. And i that's where I'd kind of like to begin just talking is what are the, you know, for you, just here's my first question for you. What are the, the principles that sort of guide your approach to viticulture? Or, or maybe another way of asking it is like, what is the, the science that informs your perspective on viticulture, both, you know, on a vineyard level or even on a global level?
1: Okay. Um, so the science and the principles, I guess, for my approach to viticulture, first off, my, I love science and, um, and, um, and so, and there's so much science, you know, I've really studied for decades, like, you know, the, um, sort of agricultural science and the history and heritage of agricultural science. Um, the, um, You know, and and there's so many, because an interesting thing about agricultural science is that there's so many different fields that are entwined because it's an applied science, right? So, you you know, so you name it. I mean, like, soil science is a subset of agricultural science, right? And within soil science, if you're, like, at a university, like, it's it's soil microbiology. um, Soil physics is, like, a subset of soil science. There's, you know, so... it's endlessly fascinating because there's so many different rabbit holes and you can, and you're, you're, you can just spend an entire lifetime um, delving into them and then integrating what you learn there into your understanding of what's happening out in the vineyard. Um, But, you know, so like a lot of what informs me is is the science of ecology. And so, you know, ecology is basically, you know, study of the, interactions and energy flow, you know, um, among organisms, you know, in a complex system. And, um, and that's really how I look at the vineyard. Um, You know, so, so what kind of geeks me out is how can we, you know, use this land in a way that we can produce, you know, wonderful wines with, without external inputs and in such a way that the land restores and enhances natural habitat, um, in so in, in doing so in a way that people can um, not hurt themselves while doing the work, and can prosper. I guess I guess that's how I would kind of lump it all together. And so um, so that you know so that makes it there's you know there's just it's just. fascinating challenge you know that that also feels good because it feels like it's a worthwhile challenge too it's not just doing crossword puzzle it's like a you know crossword puzzle for good and so that makes it really interesting yeah that's kind of how i approach it
0: nice yeah curious you said like not hurt yourself and i i definitely think about that too i mean that's one of the things that i actually say on our website is just you know, we want to provide a, I mean, organic farming provides a, a safe space for both for all, everybody that lives in and around the vineyards or works in and around the vineyards, the animals, the, the human animals. Um, I'm curious, have you encountered situations because uh, I know you've worked with people who have worked in conventional for years and have you encountered, you know, ha- have you seen anecdotally or otherwise with data People who it's pretty clear probably got sick, got cancer from what, from the stuff that they were spraying. Non organic, <sighs> obviously. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, in terms of my personal experience of people I've known, I mean, the problem is it's totally anecdotal because I know plenty of yeah. farm workers that got cancer and died at a young age, and plenty of farmers that got cancer and died at a young age. But on the right. other hand, I've also, my entire adult life has been in agriculture. So I don't have a comparison with non people in this industry to see if it's more or less. It seems like a yeah. lot. But, you know, but we know, you know, like some of these things are just, we just know that they are carcinogens. I mean, some of them you hypothesize or you like, as an organic firm, you go, that shit will cause cancer. Right. But, right. you know, I've worked in pest management. I was a licensed pest control advisor for 25 years. And so there's, so I had to get my continuing, education. You know, there's there's at ed- continuing education hours, there's just a lot of exposure to the science that I've had. And a lot of the chemicals actually are known carcinogens. You know, like right. diethane is a common was, you know, people don't use it that much anymore, but it was really common when I got into it. Xyram, captan, benlate, I mean, those are Known carcinogens and a lot of them are illegal now because of that. But you know, but they were it's not you know, 15 years ago, not that long ago, they were still being used. So they're known carcinogens. So then when they now like the newer science on like glyphosate and stuff is not as clear cut, it's probably a carcinogen or probably causes other issues like, you know, Parkinson's and things like that. But, but there's chemicals like Benlate that it's not probably they have, there is data it causes cancer. So it's like, right. why would you use that shit if it yeah. causes cancer? I mean, it's crazy to me. Or yeah. cause it causes like some of the insecticides like Lord's that cause um, neurological problems. It's a known fact, you know, they, like um, they, you know, so they, some of the, initially they, when they first started restricting Lord's it was on f- fruits and vegetables that kids would tend to eat more because, um, because kids are more sensitive than adults who are developing. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, like, or the endocrine disruptors, like, you know, we know for a fact DDT is an endocrine disruptor. That's why it's illegal. Right. So, so these are, this is like based in science. And so then you, so that, so then, so then I look at the chemicals that don't have studies associated with them. I go, well, why would I, just because they haven't looked at it, doesn't mean it's not carcinogenic. Right. And so it's just so it's just then it just becomes an abundance of caution. Like let's not use this shit if we can, you know, you don't need it.
0: Yeah, why roll the dice with your life and everyone else's? It's it does yeah, exactly me. But then there's other uh,
1: aspects too of just like ergonomics, you know, like how are how are people being asked to work, like um, yeah. and then there's like, you know, workplace harassment and that sort of thing. And so all of those things are something that, you know, we're trying to improve applying in our workplace
0: oh that's great and that i mean then there are there is now a certification that takes that to the next level the re- regenerative organic certification yeah. I, i'm guessing you're a pretty big uh, adopter and and supporter of that new The new... yeah we
1: definitely are and um and we're def- and um and we're actually looking into a labor certification um the Equitable Farming Initiative, EFI. Oh, cool. Um, uh, and, you know, they're more for like big farms. And so we're just having in early conversations with them about maybe they can tailor what they offer to like smaller operations. Because we don't really have a good labor certification here in the U.S. for smaller operations. Like kind of like equivalent of fair trade or something like that. Because right. fair trade doesn't operate in the U.S.
0: Right. I thought and that so, that's how... You know, i thought that's what regenerative organic was using was the fair trade principles or the fair trade uh even regulatory body to 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 certify the the labor aspect the social oh aspect. i didn't
1: i was not aware of that so I yeah i, I think they look, are actually. Into that. okay
0: cool yeah, thank yeah, you yeah check that out yeah um so here's a question for you what if somebody because this is, you know, obviously like a, a goal of mine would be to encourage people to transition from conventional to organic or regenerative organic, ideally. What do you advise, what advice do you have for somebody switching? Uh, like, you know, somebody who's, let's say they have a family farm that's been farmed conventionally. They're maybe second generation and it's 40 years been conventional. Um, like what what <laughs> what what should they be aware of if they're going to, take that step and make the transition
1: um well i think that, that you know like i've worked with a lot of people have transitioned from conventional to organic yeah and generally um there's really two ways to do it right you can pull off the band-aid and just go for right. it and deal with the learning curve and the hiccups or you and i think that that's a good strategy if you for just it's probably the better strategy is just freaking pull off the mandate. Um, But then a lot of people are like, well, we want to just um, ease into it. And so the easy into it, you can either take like one section, one block of vines or, you know, and start doing that organically and see how that goes. A lot of people do that. Um, and a lot of people do, you know, and I think there's an advantage there because you can, you, you know you're not betting the whole farm but you're, you're sort of pulling the band-aid off so you get to really go for it but on a on a piece of your farm so that you can you know deal with the learning curve without betting the whole farm um, is there any I, yeah all right i know i was just gonna ask,
0: uh, so if you let's say you were doing that i was actually considering leasing a part of a vineyard this year to do that it didn't didn't work out but one of my concerns was you know let's say two-thirds of the vineyard is farm can conventionally and then i'm farming the other third organically mm-hmm. is there any, any concern that the pests in the two-thirds is going to leap over to my third you know because of the, of the proximity oh, and the.
1: i thought you were going to say is there, is there any concern about the pesticide drift no uh, and, no and, yeah yeah because in the pesticide drift i don't worry about that because i'm not into the i don't think the idea of purity is right attainable yeah. anymore. And so it's just about, what are you doing? But on the pest side, it's interesting. Like I had these, so when I was working in Lodi for the wine grape commission, when we did our we had our sustainability program in 1999, we had two of the grower members. We would monitor these vineyards and count the bugs weekly and stuff when we are trying to ascertain whether the sustainability practices were working and um and get some data there so that wasn't you know so that um you know we could advance the whole dialogue and so we we had these test vineyards we would monitor and these two were right next to each other one guy was like way into his chemicals and the other guy next to him was like a total hippie he was like his place was just completely unkempt and wild yeah and um, a lot of german farmers in lodi for sure and you get like the the stereotype of like, and I can, as I half German, I can say the stereotype is true of like the German orderly, neat, tidy, and so, anal. um, and anal, all that good stuff. And so, um, yeah, Freud, right. But he was, you know, Austrian same difference basically. And so <laughs> the, the, um, German guy was always complaining because right there on the edge of his field next to the organic field. He he would just get hammered by leafhoppers, and they didn't talk to each other because they hated each other, but I would check both vineyards. On the organic field, he would get hammered by leafhoppers over on the edge where the um also. So for some reason, the leafhoppers were really bad on that edge between the sprayed field and the unsprayed field. So ecologically, I have no idea why that was the case, but it was – pretty funny and ironic that they are both blaming it on the other person and where they just, they just <laughs> live on the edge between the two fields. But, um, so, so, but in general, I think that I would not be worried that the pests are going to go over from the organic side. You know, it's, I mean, for the, from the sprayed side, it's not like they're going to drive the pests because, you know, insects are kind of like not really that, um, savvy to, to be like, oh, they're spraying, so I'm going to go over there where they're not spraying. You know, insects are kind of like little mini algorithms, the way they think, with like little if-then statements, you know? So there's like, you know, I'm going to fly randomly in 360 degrees and land and test where I'm at, and if it's not good, I'm going to fly 360 degrees again and land and test where I'm at. That'd be like one way of insects moving. And then over time they tend to be where they like it because they've tested enough times, even though they, it was random, which direction they flew. Right. Or like some of them will have like, um, they have like visual cues or they fly towards, but they, they're not, it's not like, um, oh, you know, this, this area here is safer or anything like that. They, they, you know, and so, um, thank God, because otherwise you have major problems. And so they kind of, you know, so. They're spraying over there they're they, you know like I don't think it's really I don't see it affecting you over here you know each of our little areas kind of exist in there you know not not that they aren't connected because everything is is fades into the next space but um, relatively independent I think
0: yeah well what what uh I mean I've heard things like if you if you are transitioning it might be, A good idea to just give the the vineyard or farmland like a year of just rest. Do you do you buy into that? Do you think that's a good idea? Like rest 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 is no spray of anything. Like just stop everything and let it be what it is. I think this is specifically about a vineyard. I I,
1: I haven't heard that, but I would not buy into that because especially on the disease side, because you don't want stuff to build up.
0: Right. Right.
1: Um, you know, so like the last thing I would want to do is allow powdery mildew or botrytis or, you know, to build up in the vineyard and then then have to deal with that organically. One of the principles of integrated pest management, which is like kind of like the, there's a whole sort of, of construct around the idea of integrated pest management of how to like manage pests. And it's right. really important for organic farming to like use IPM or integrated pest management principles, and and they kind of have a hierarchy of, you know, of from least impact to most impact that you that you follow. So like, you start with cultural controls, right? Like if you can control mites by um, driving slower on the roads and not not raising dust that's the, you know, that's like a no brainer. And that you would do that would really be the first thing for a mite problem, for example, spider mites. And so, so you have this hierarchy and one of the hierarchies in integrated pest management is sanitation. So like if, for example, if you have a bunch of botrytis and so you didn't pick those bunches of grapes um, because they were fuzzy and diseased when you're harvesting, in the winter, you would want to get those bunches, cut them off and put them on the ground and stomp them down into the cover crop so that they rot so that the spores aren't, you know, so it's like sanitation is like this, it, it, like, because every crop that's part of the deal, right? Like, you um, know, peaches, you cut all the mummies down, they call them mummies, the will disease peaches and yeah. get them out of there. So sanitation, or like in um, almonds, right? Uh, I used to work in, you, know, you know, like um, the worms live in the overwintering nuts. So in the winter, you knock off all the overwintering nuts. So sanitation is a really big deal, and so so with and with organic farming, it's more important. And so you never want to let stuff build up.
0: Now, is knocking it to the ground enough? I mean, because wouldn't that just keep it in the vineyard do you need to remove well it, it depends or?
1: on the disease and i Mithritus, i don't actually know the answer to but like powdery mildew okay. is epiphytic meaning it lives up on the on the plant the truck and yeah. it can't compete like soil might like soil fungi will just immediately pounce on any powdery mildew and kill it oh uh, okay you know because it's eat dog down in the soil it's a lot easier to live up on a leaf
0: yeah yeah
1: and and so my you know generally they tried it's like some fungi like brown rot in peaches you have to get it out of there it's not enough to put it in the soil so it's really like organism by organism i don't know the answer for botrytis. i tried to use botrytis as an example but um as i was like thinking it's not the greatest example because we don't in our climate in california we don't tend to worry about that as much It's more of a problem in rainy rainier areas right so I don't actually know if it tries
0: will get eaten up by soil <laughs> undone or not. Gotcha. Okay. Well, we'll look into that. <laughs> I uh, I Powdery lives like it, it overwinters, like in the, like the, the trunk of the vine, right? So it'll, it, and it's an early season generation thing, which is why the early spraying in organics is important. Is that, yeah. uh, am mm-hmm. I getting that right? That's mm-hmm. a big part of it. Um, since we're getting technical, do you, I would, <laughs> I would love to just hear what your year is like in a vineyard, like what, you know, month by month or, or action by action, what you take, what you do in a vineyard.
1: Okay. Well, we're, we're pruning right now. Yeah. And obviously, pruning it's February 1st. Orton.
0: Wait, it's February 2nd. All right.
1: Yeah. We start pruning right when we get back from the holidays, basically. Um, and so, um, so, you know, pruning is, you know, wine quality and also a big part of organics as well, because we, um, because you want, you know, you try to, you know, um, part of, so that they're going to talk about cultural controls for diseases, like, you know, not driving fast and making a bunch of dust, you know, having, getting like light, you know, airflow through your canopy is a cultural control. So you have less disease pressure. So we want to have, make sure our pruning is good and the spurs are all spaced out, et cetera. And vine balance is really a big deal. So, um, more vigorous vines are more susceptible to disease than less vigorous vines just due to the nature of the rapid growth is just more tender and so easier for the fungi to infect. So we want balanced vines really important. And so like at pruning, we can decide, Oh, this vine's, really vigorous we're going to leave more buds on it so that we can slip you know so the bigger pursuit is reduced okay and then you know and then like conversely this is a weaker vine rather than put a bunch of nitrogen fertilizer on it and try to force it into being a strong vine which um you know we kind of figure that we're getting we're working on our soil on soil health and over time the vines get what they need but in the but, um, and we can add extra cause we do our compost by hand. So skipping ahead to the, you know, the end of the year. So a weak vine is going to get extra compost and it might get right. a little bit of organic fertilizer. And so, but in the short term, we need to make it smaller so that the shoots grow enough so that they can carry a crop. And so pruning wise, the big guy vine the strong vines get bigger and our small vine and our weak vines get smaller. So every single vine is pruned differently, basically um and so 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 that's what's kind of going on with pruning and then we're treating our pruning prune? wounds is it possible
0: can i ask you uh yeah. i know stylistically uh, can you prune to a style of wine um i mean i guess that all depends uh, on where your not vines are really okay I, I think that
1: wine vine balance kind of is what it is and your okay. best shot at making the any kind of wine that but the best shot of it being good is for the vine to be balanced. Yeah. So our our um for like Matthiasen, we pick really early and our wines are known for being like, you know, very bright and very light on their feet. And um and then most of my consulting clients pick late and make much bigger wines. Right. Um, you know, we have like this year I got seven of my clients got hundred points with Colony. And so it's like, everyone was super happy about that. We don't, from Tyson, <laughs> we don't submit our, we don't even submit for scores, but like, like, sure as hell no, they're not going to get hundred points. And so it's a different style. <laughs> we prune exactly the same, basically. Right. Got
0: it. Okay. Um, you it's right, going it.
1: for, you're not going to get hundred points if you don't have a balanced bind and you're not going to be able to pick like we do. Because I think we have full ripeness of our cannons and full depth of flavor at low alcohols, and that's the part to a large part because the vines are really balanced. Got it.
0: Now, go ahead. Sorry. Okay. So pruning is pruning has happened. Do you have? Yeah, a we have to, to treat pruning? our
1: pruning wounds because you know for trunk diseases, and luckily you it actually, used to be that organically actually- there was nothing. We put manure on the wounds, but now we have a couple of really good products Vitisil and yeah. BioCan. What was <clears throat> that first one? Vitisil.
0: Vitisil, yeah. I've seen that. So you actually go around and paint this, like dip the little sponge thing into the bucket and then tap the, the cut. Tap every the little
1: cut, yeah. And the reason, so, so that way the cut's protected from any, from the fun, fun, fungal spores that land on there and then start infecting and, and slowly kill the volume from the inside out. And so the yeah. um, viticil is basically, I actually helped them come to market. So, um, so oh, well. nice thing is that we have a lifetime supply free. with was my, how they compensated <laughs> me, me, <laughs> but you know, I really wanted to like, help them be successful because when it came out, it was the only organic, um, wound protectant. Yeah. And it's so that it's just basically a paint with the active ingredient as a derivative of cinnamon oil. And, um, and so, so we use that, but the problem is if it's going to, if it's like, if the vines are bleeding, which, you know, um, then, um, cause you know, I don't know how on an audience wise, I'm going to try to, uh, you know, break some of this stuff down a little bit. So like when the, you know, later in the season, the, the vines start bleeding, which is they um, the water starts running out of your pruning cuts. And so right. If you, then obviously you can't paint anything on there, it just washes off. And that's where now the new product of BioCam comes in because that's a competitive fungi made from Trichoderma, which is this fungi that for decades, people have been trying to figure out how to use as a biological control agent. Cause it's a fungi that eats other fungi, totally safe fungi that just, right. it lives on other fungi. And so, so that one, so, so this year we've moved to that for when the vines are bleeding because it can build this kind of grow in there and
0: stay. That's awesome. I mean, that's kind of the idea I've, I've heard. That's kind of the idea of putting manure on too, right? Like you have, you have the microbes, the microbiology in that compost competing against the other, the, the pathogenic fungi. Is that the yeah, idea exactly. there? Sort of a homeopathic.
1: Yeah. So you're just kind of hoping that there's enough stuff growing in there that'll outcompete. compete.
0: Yeah, I yeah. mean I actually practice spraying, I mean not that not that I have any data to say that it's working yet, um, but I've just been doing some compost tea spraying on our vines uh, since fall. I mean, we have we I mean, we have a little front yard Los Angeles vineyard, but I think if if we can beat powdery mildew here I think we could beat it anywhere we're like in the marine layer most of the year with perfect growing conditions for powdery mildew it's ridiculous like eight months out of the year is optimal for powdery here um oh, but man. we'll see what happens
1: yeah, yeah well i mean i've never thought about spraying compost tea dormant on the bark and seeing if you could um get, you know get rid of the canidia. that's very interesting uh, i think on that work. yeah
0: i mean i'm sure it depends on the compost tea too and what what's in it and you know so there's a little bit of luck and uh, you know i'm gonna try doing it at different times of the year hopefully get different microbiology at different times maybe do different composts and see what happens but trying to see you know what will happen um yeah. i don't know i'll keep you posted <laughs> but uh, i don't know how well it would work on a large scale but We'll see if it works we've, at all. <laughs> you just got my
1: head spinning because I'm re- I'm thinking about this biotam, the trichoderma fungi, and kind of going, huh, because we, we're because we not, we're actually saving on labor a little bit and, and spraying it over the vines instead of painting each cut right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you spend more money on the material but less on labor, and, and we're short on labor right now because one of our key people got turned away at the border. Um, uh. And which a total bummer. And so um, I'm going, huh, I wonder if that, because the powdery mildew overwinters in the bark, I wonder if any of the yeah. trichodermen would eat the powdery mildew that's overwintering the bark. So I got. need to start, I need to email some of the people at Davis.
0: Fun. All right. I, I, I hope you, let let everyone know what you find out that'd be great yeah um all right so then we treated the wounds it's kind of waiting now for bud break to happen right or are you what yeah. are you doing mm-hmm. other things are you doing any composting early season no, composting we're
1: stuff? waiting for no we don't do really usually early season compost so once we treat the wounds we wait for bud break we move into the and bottle in the winery while we're waiting for bud break okay and i'll try to keep everybody fully employed so we kind of schedule our bottlings for slow times in the vineyard and that, that lets us bottle our wine when we want to because we have multiple slow times so like some wines we want to bottle earlier because we want to keep the more freshness lighter aromatic wines like Pinot mounier and some wines will bottle a little bit later it gets a little bit more development some wines we wait till the um, right before harvest to bottle so it's um it's all wine dependent So If we have these little slots, we go that we kind of know we're going to be slow in the vineyard, and that's a bottling slot, depending on the on the wines. Yeah, so then then after we bottle, we'll move back out to the and shoot thin and shoot thinning is kind of a big deal because you know so like the vine you know the tunt grows from all over like a just like a chia pet, and we want to just leave the shoots on the spurs or canes that we left at pruning time. and 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 Mm
0: -hmm. is part of the necessity of shoot thinning because you've for insurance sake left like two buds for each spur and you kind of want to get that down to one one shoot per spur is that part of it as well
1: yeah one shoot per one shoot per bud so like on the two bud spur it'll get two shoots
0: right unless it's a very weak
1: spur then it gets one
0: got it and you want to keep both of those
1: both of them yeah Mm -hmm.
0: okay all right got it all right so you but you're thinning the other things that might have just popped out from like who knows where on the vine
1: yeah exactly and so it it, so it is all up in the trunk the cordons everything and so we thin all that stuff off and that's all growing in the spring based on stored carbohydrates so you know because the plant inside the trunk of the vine is like a potato, right? So it's, it's starchy, there's starch in there. And that's what, how they store their energy over the winter. And so, right. so they grow the shoots up and the shoots have to get about six inches long before they can, they, they're photosynthesizing enough to propel their own growth, maybe even a foot long, oh. so somewhere in there. And so up until then, it's all stored energy from within that vine. And so, so like a stronger vine has more stored energy Weaker vine is less stored energy, part of the what you know by definition, and so (laughs) Right, right. So, the stronger vines push out more strongly in the spring, and so part of our striving for vine balance is then we go through and we shoot thin all of the weak vines first. So, it's a little bit extra work to find all the weak vines, weak vineyards, weak sections and shoot them all, them all first so that all the stored energy is directed into the shoots we're going to keep and we're not wasting energy in shoots that we're going to thin off got it and then we go through and we thin all of our strong vines our shoot in our strong vines and then we have a, the ones that are too strong we save for the very end and thin those
0: got it and Last. have you and this is how long are the shoots at this point are they
1: well just... on the weak vines, they're about five inches. Okay. The regular vines they're about probably ten or twelve inches. And then we'll wait for the strong vines to get up to like eighteen inches so that we get rid of a bunch of the energy and steal that basically away from the vines and try to, you know, um deplete their stored carbohydrates or stored starch reserves. So that no so you can break it out of that cycle of being overly vigorous. Overly vigorous vines get diseased they ruin your wine that, you know, like the wine from overly vigorous vines is, you know, herbal bell pepper, harsh tannins, cranberry flavors, thin, no color. So, you know, you know, so it's a major negative. And so we don't want, we're always trying to manage the overly strong vines and get them down into being balanced. Just like the weak vines are a problem because the weak vines for wine quality, besides weak vines being like. Poor producing, so economically it's a problem. But they're also <clears throat> um, bitter tannins, not fruity, thin, hollow wines. You know, low color also because they don't have the energy to ripen the fruit, and their immune okay. system is overexpressed, and so they get really bitter.
0: Huh, that is very cool. Now at this point, I'm I'm guessing you've done a, a first spray of something, right?
1: yeah so yeah so for spraying we watch the weather back to integrated pest management because the environment is really important because we're not going to spray if it's not the right conditions you mentioned how like in la like you know you have optimum mildew conditions so you know mildew has a temperature range that it likes so we if it's too cold we don't worry about it We, we we watch the weather really closely and and um, and don't start and start spraying when it warms up right and then generally we kind of um, remember in Getty, you grew up in Gettysburg The saying the battle yep. of Gettysburg was don't shoot till you see the whites of their eyes yeah, yeah and so so um and so it's kind of like that we wait and wait and wait and wait and try to save as many sprays as possible until it's right then time we go okay we, it's, it's time we got to spray and then we spray something, a clean up, so that we can get rid of any any mildew that kind of got started ahead of us. So we use oil to start with. Because oil is a really good organic spray to like smother all of the mildew and kill it.
0: And that's the the stylet oil, I'm guessing, or a yeah, uh-huh. version of that? Yeah. Yeah. OK. Great. And then I'm guessing throughout the season, after shoot thinning, uh, you're going to be spraying again only as needed. Do you, I mean, I'm guessing in Napa, you, you have pretty consistent weather most years that you you almost could be on a schedule. Is that true with like yeah. sulfur or, or other sprays? Yeah,
1: exactly. So, so we'll hit spray it with oil and then maybe we'll spray it a second time with oil. And then you have to give it, a, a, you know, maybe it depends, again, it's going to be weather dependent. So it might be just 10 days later, it might be three weeks later, depending on what the spring's like. And then we, and we try to time that first oil spray also, if we can, to right after the shoot minute, so right. you get all the leaves out of the way, you get really nice coverage because with oil, you have to evenly coat everything, which is not easy. So nice. with organics, you have to be a lot better of an equipment operator than with conventional, because the systemics, which is, you know, the conventional stuff is sy- systemic, meaning that it gets into the plant and moves around. And so you don't have to have perfect coverage. So with organic farming, you have to be a better tractor driver because you have to set your sprayer up just right and evenly coat both sides of every single leaf. There's no right. room for error. And so we have to take that very seriously. We have to, you know, that, that's one of the fun things about organic farming is it makes you a better farmer, <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, and so, so we put our sprays on, we, we try to get our coverage after the shoot thinning, watch the weather, and, and, um, and then when it, um, the conditions are right, we do another oil spray and then we feel like, okay, we don't want to put any more oil because oil is a little hard on the leaves. It kind of clogs their stomata, the little pores they use to breathe. And you'd rather not put too much oil on. So after our second spray, we are going to move to sulfur, which is a lot easier on the plants, right? It's not great on the plants, but, um, you know, but better. Um, right. and so we, um, they have to, Then you have to give it a little pause because at least 12 days, because oil and sulfur together will make a reaction that burns the leaves. So you have to, right. all the, the oil evaporates and when it's all gone after about 12 days, you figure it's all gone and then you can, then we can get started with sulfur. And so we, so we put two or three sulfurs on usually, and then, um, if it's low mildew pressure, like we start, we take a lot of chances. I don't mind some powdery mildew. And I think it's actually complexity in the wine. I just want uh, to keep it at a dull roar. And so we'll, I don't <laughs> like putting stuff on the grapes. It's going to get into the wine, even if it's organic. And so right. we stop probably a month or six weeks earlier than most people stop with our sprays. Wow. So if we're nice and clean, um, you know, um, like, you know, let's call it seed, seed hardening is this phase that's halfway between bloom and verizon where the uh-huh. seeds have finished developing. Um, that's a, when usually when that, so we, I, I open the berries up and I and look at the seeds and inspect the seeds and when they're not soft anymore, they're hard and scratchy. If, our, if we're in reasonably clean on mildew, I'll stop spraying because usually with seed hardening, it also means that the skin of the grape is fully developed and it's a lot more resistant to, um, mildew. Got it. And so, um, so right around, that's usually when we'll stop or, you know, so for and for the last three of the year, since I don't want to get a bunch of sulfur into our wine, I'll you know, we'll shift over to one of there's some the biological materials like serenade or Sonata, which are, you know, just competitive. Um, there's this bacteria basically that, uh, I'm not worried about the residue that, that it'll all be gone way before harvest
0: right and then is i know a lot of people i mean i've heard the the rule of you know just no spraying after veraison is that well we don't or? we
1: don't spray you know yeah so when we went seed hardening is like way before veraison, about five weeks before veraison okay so for us we would not be spraying after anything after veraison but for a lot of the, the reason people tend not to spray, just to say no spraying after brazen is because after brazen, the grapes are immune to powdery mildew because the sugar content, the powdery mildew can't uh, live. It's like the, um, the, the powdery mildew is a very delicate fungi and in that high sugar, it's basically the, um, changes the osmotic potential, which for the non-chemistry nerds, you know, you have more solutes outside then inside the on a membrane and so it draws moisture to from lower concentration to higher concentration so it ruptures the cell walls of the powdery mildew got it so um so,
0: that's... so yeah that last spray minded, that
1: it eats the sugar but mildew can't handle it
0: so you that last spray of serenade or sonata or some biological is is that at seed hardening and then that's pretty much it you're for us you're... yeah riding it out right i know a lot of people right out,
1: like you know it, the one caveat would be that you get a warm rain on your fruit before harvest and then it might run out and put some serenade on it which is that again a biological to prevent detritus.
0: and then are you doing anything else in the vineyard during the that growing season are you okay are you- so that's we just, just kind of skipped ahead on spring or- yeah
1: we skipped ahead on spring so when we finish our shoot thinning Meanwhile, we're doing all around that while we're shoot thinning. We're also the tractors are running, um, everything all day, every day. And we're we're cultivating weeds underneath the vines.
0: Okay, all of our Why'd vineyards are,
1: Um, we do that so that so there's this the middle part of the vineyards, all the avenues are no till. So, also, our vineyards, every single one of our vineyards is no till, but right. under the vines, we um, if you leave the weeds up around the vines, um, there's two things. One is vine balance. And so it's really asking a lot of the vines to grow in grass that's the one that eat right up against their trunks just because they're competing with the grasses for water and nutrients. And it really, really weakens the vine. Okay. So that could be a good thing or a bad thing depending on
0: the how vigorous your vines the vine. are.
1: Yeah. but. Right. Most of our vines uh, can't handle that much competition. Okay. Um, new vineyards that we're planting, we're using stronger rootstocks, and I'm trying to plan for global warming and more regenerative practices. And and um, and hopefully, we will be able. To, the vines will be able to handle like the grasses right up to them. But the I have to deal with mostly existing vineyards that were planted. Back when people used to cultivate and fertilize and water and everything, and, the, and right. unfortunately the vines need a little bit of help, so we keep the weeds away from the trunks. Also, there's the um, issue of voles, which are like you know the meadow mice, and uh, they yeah. can wreak ha- they can just completely wreak havoc if they have a covered safe place to chew the bark right. of the vines.
0: Right, right next to the vine. Yeah, got it. Okay. Yeah. So um, we, okay. so
1: we, in the spring, so we, this spring, we do all our under the vine cultivation cause you know, we're not using Roundup and then, right. and, um, and we're mowing the cover crops in the middles and for frost and um, and while we're shoot thinning. And then we move from shoot thinning into wire moving cause you know, it's very important for wine quality. The shoots are all evenly spaced from each other. They have a big pile of shoots in one spot that creates a lot of shading. And that changes the physiology of that portion of the vine. You get more herbal characters and you get more, you get less ripeness in the tannins and less color. Um, and so we put a lot of emphasis on positioning the shoots perfectly upright and, you know, within the wires as they grow. Got it. So that, because again, we're picking early, so our, we're picking our fruit like a month to six weeks before most people are picking their fruit. Well, and most people are, one of the reasons that they're waiting a long time to pick their fruit is, is they're waiting to, for all of the underripe characters to go away. And with, with you know, where, so my focus is how do, I, how do we grow the vines so that they don't make the underripe characters in the first place? And um, so we can pick nice and early and have fully ripe fruit that has vibrant acidity and lower alcohol, but has really nice lush, ripe tannins and lots of, you know, flavor. And so, and no negatives. And so getting those shoot, shoots nice and even and evenly spaced and upright is a big deal. And so we spent, we put a lot of emphasis on that. And then when the shoots get a little taller, and the, the very, again, you want the shoots to all be even with each other because it's, you know, the stronger shoot is the negative, and the weaker shoot is negative. You're looking for a medium sized shoot so when the strong shoots get up get past the top wire we go through and clip off the tips of all of them to stunt them so they kind of stop growing and then they give the shorter shoots a chance to catch up so that the shoots are nice and even so you end up with all nice even shoots and a nice line all nicely evenly spaced from each other now and,
0: when you do the hedging like that don't you get doesn't that lead to laterals and is that a bad thing um,
1: not if you just get the tip so so okay. so i di- di- i differentiate between tipping and topping
0: got it okay
1: tipping is just taken off the top like a couple inches and then tip- then if, if the vine wants to keep growing it will typically re-sprout from the top If you top it, which is basically taking off, like let's say the top foot or more, that's a much bigger cut, and now the laterals all up and down that shoot will tend to push. Got it. And so sometimes we do that on purpose when we want the laterals to push to shade the fruit if we have a really hot, sunny spot. Okay. But generally we don't. And so we generally we're not topping, we're tipping. And so I just, I'm just tipping like the, the tallest third or so of the shoots so that the other two thirds can catch up.
0: So you really have to, and then,
1: and then they, meanwhile, the soil moisture is every single day is becoming less and less and less as the summer goes on. Right. So growth is becoming less and less. And so hopefully we tip our shoots, the other ones catch up and then they, everything just kind of goes to a stop and we're done. Otherwise we might need to tip again. Right. And then if it's still growing, we have overly vigorous vines. Now we need to top them and just start basically treating them like a bonsai and just cutting them back, cutting them back over and over again and never let them get the benefit of those leaves they made so that, again, you're trying to suppress an overly vigorous situation. Right. But hopefully that's not a normal management practice that's like mitigating out-of-balance vines.
0: That's like... A- essentially me i have syrah growing in heavy clay so it's it's nuts like i can't stop them growing i dry farm them you know on uh, 12 inches of winter rain and they they grow like monsters <laughs> it's insane wow. um do you give them any yeah. fertilizer
1: or compost
0: well so that's a that's a question i was going to ask you is like let's say somebody is in a situation like that where they have a vigorous vine in a in a heavy soil. But it's a nitrogen poor soil. I know in the winemaking, especially with Syrah, you want a good bit of yeast available nitrogen in the grapes. I imagine mm-hmm. so you avoid sort of you know the reductive qualities that Syrah can tend towards. But if you if you're adding a nitrogen rich compost into a, a vigorous you know a heavy clay soil with a vigorous vine, mm-hmm. you end up with even more vigor. Is yeah. there a is there any way to get around that problem?
1: Yeah, there is. It just doesn't work to fertilize to increase Yan. Um, unfortunately, so yeah, Yan used to be able to nitrogen in the must. Pretty much as a rule, the good, really, the great vineyards have low Yan.
0: Oh, okay. Um,
1: and so it's a, it's just a problem. Is that almost always like like what's considered a good Yan? Um, but you know, for fermentation is almost always, unfortunately, an overly vigorous vineyard, and so it's just a, kind of a weird right conundrum, basically. But so, um, so we just to put it in perspective, you know, we you know we farm forty five acres, and we probably apply compost each year to six or so of the forty five acres. Oh, I consider compost to be like a healing thing to me. It's like huh. chicken soup for the vineyard. And yep. so you, you put it on when, the, when you need, when the vine when when the vineyard has a problem, but you, but it's not an annual thing because once everything's working right, then we don't, it doesn't need it basically. And right. so, um, and so, and we, we try to keep our vineyards on the lean side nitrogen wise. So if you ever send like petiole samples, you know the into the lab for like testing your nitrogen status, like I'd like you know you want to see you know I I usually I'm happy if the nitrogen is like 0.85 let's say and nitrates Uh are hopefully below 100. So so we'd like to see all the other nutrients. night. well, the acidity, potassium, kind of right in the sweet spot and everything else you'd love to see it high and but and, and the nitrogen you would like to see on the lower side and you and and and, and that's not when i see the other nutrients high not because you've been fertilizing them but because the soil's working and all that right soil microbiome is producing all the phosphorus and micronutrients that the plant can for the plant the plants you know symbiotic relationships with all the fungi and everything is getting what it needs but you'd like to see nitrogen low from a wine quality standpoint, um, because um, it, it's so much better. Canon quality and and color and and um, and just depth of the wine with when, when the with when lower nitrogen levels. And so, so the, um like if, with with in the fermentation. Luckily, there's some organic um, nutrients. So like. Like we use this stuff called firm control bio, okay. which is, yeah, no, orga- it's no. certified organic out of the EU. And, um, it's just, they, they just, they grow, it's basically they grow it's um, yeast on organic, um, I think beet sugar, but it's an organic substrate. And then they, and then you basically, it's like ground up, you know, you're not, you're not adding any yeast because it's all dead and ground up, but it's a really good or get certified organic
0: yeast nutrient when, for when you're low in. Yeah, I know of uh, like Fermato as another one. Fermato uh, is
1: a good one too, but I think the Fruit Control Bio works better.
0: Okay. Cool.
1: But but Fermato is a little easier to find.
0: So that's but, yeah. too. I and that's why I was going to ask you next was just a little bit about your winemaking. I I mean since we got up to Veraison and. And you've sort of you're letting the vineyard go. Let's assume that harvest happens and you're making the wine, so we'll take a break from what's happening in the vineyard and ask about yeah. winemaking. You I was surprised, uh I mean, at first surprised until I listened to your explanation when I, I heard uh in another interview that you did that you you add yeast. And I was like, you know, I yeah. always think well that's, when you're, that's an
1: old one though.
0: Yeah, no, and and it's like I guess I just wanted to talk about it because I, what you say about it makes so much sense, which is, you know, essentially you want to express the farming. And if you, especially like you and me and a lot of other people, when you're getting started, you're working in shared facilities for your winemaking. Mm-hmm. Your cellar is like, you know, you might be in a custom crush or you might be sharing space with somebody else. You have no control over what they're adding. And so, if you just let a wild ferment happen, it's going to be whatever the microbes are in that vin- in that cellar. That it's not necessarily res- respecting or reflecting the grapes and the vineyard and the farming. Um, and so, you your solution to that was just use a yeast that's a, a doesn't impart a lot of flavor or aromas, so it just allows the you know a, allows a clean ferment, a consistent ferment for all of your wines, and therefore mm-hmm. what you're comparing isn't the randomness of some you know cellar microbes but the the consistency of the yeast from bottle to bottle so I, I i thought that was such a smart explanation a whole different way of thinking about it cuz everything i've always heard and thought about was like you know low intervention you want to express the vineyard you want to not mess with the grapes just let them ferment but then the reality is when when we do analysis we know that you know it's some if somebody brought a, a some yeast into the cellar five years ago that's probably what's fermenting your grapes you know it's like it's not it's not necessarily what came from the vineyard um but what else i mean talk more about your your winemaking i'd love to know more about
1: so so now so in 2000 so that interview i think was like i'm guessing that's the great grape collective interview that, okay, um, I can't remember and, either.
0: I should have written it down. Yeah, but. yeah
1: I remember like uh, when they talked about that. But so, so I guess in 2017, we finally bought our own facility.
0: I was going to ask, so has that changed that perspective yeah. on...
1: So yeah, so in our new facility, we're not inoculating because we don't have to issue our neighbors' yeast getting into our wine and not wine that our neighbors like high-impact yeast in our wine.
0: Right. So are you so now dogmatic? Table. Are you now being you know again because i've come from german background i can say this are you being german about letting yeast come into the cellar like are you being very protective of the 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 environment so that you know not you are really just like paying... in terms of like no okay. barrels through outside
1: can enter the cellar or that kind of thing um, right right no because like, again i'm not a you know, that luckily the other half of my background is Icelandic. And so um, <laughs> they still live in elves. And so it's like, so it's not, um, this idea of purity doesn't really, I'm not really like, um, driven by this idea of purity. And so it's like, okay, if a little bit of outside East gets in there, so what the, you know, that's not, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, that's life, you know? So we're, the main thing is, we're, um, it's just craftsmanship, and so what you know, so like we try to, you know, just do a good job, basically. It's you know, and so right, it's like I'm not equating purity with, with craftsmanship. There's, I think, that, um, I you know,
0: there's I a love that, different.
1: and so I love um, that. So, we, yeah, yeah, we try to do a good job in our winery. And if a little bit of we're in Napa Valley, I mean, there's 700 god only knows wineries here, god only knows how much commercial use is just in the air, right right but, but you know <laughs> we've been working we've done stuff we've actually done some studies with what yeast are fermenting our wines and it's a in the, our new winery that we're that it's uninoculated and it's definitely a mix of okay. wild strains and some commercial strains that are just feral or out and about and so yeah. um but um but you know it's, it's the, the the reason that we're not inoculating in the new winery is this honestly just because um I'm, I'm geeking out on the process of it and this wanting, it, it, it's, it's, it adds enough, it's more challenging. It feels more real. It feels more true to the vineyard, you know, more true to our place. And, um, yeah. and so, um, so that's kind of the motivation it's, um, but you know, it's, I don't know if I like the results better or worse, but I'm just enjoying that. It's like another level of the craftsmanship that we, we finally have the control of our own place. And so it's natural that then we let our own yeast do the work in our own place.
0: So you, are, I, I mean, it sounds like you're pretty dogmatic about the kind of farming that you want, but not as dogmatic about the, the winemaking.
1: Well, uh, okay, like, and I'm, ex- I'm just as dogmatic. Ex- if you're looking at it that way, when you were talking about like attention to detail, uh, um, craftsmanship, like um, trying to understand and pay attention to every single facet of the process, they're I'm equally e- dogmatic on the winery and the vineyard. But yeah, that- again, in the vineyard, we I'm extremely controlling with the horticultural aspects of the grape growing, like, you know, tipping the shoots and getting them up in the wires. But I'm extremely allowing of nature within the vineyard. And, um, you know, because, you know, like we have all kind of habitat plants, native plants, you know, hedgerows. There's tons of stuff living in there. Right. I'm not trying right. to like control how many quail are living in the bushes around the vineyard. You know, <laughs> we we're just you know the the, the riot of life. That that's uh, there's a lot of joy there, and that's something that we're just trying to get out of the way and and repair this place so that it can kind of spring into its own identity. And so it's that's totally different than like the vine itself that we're trying to like guide in its
0: annual growth that's that's what I'm uh, what I meant by dogmatic was more about the the approach not not the not mm-hmm. controlling everything but that you're w- not using conventional chemicals and things like that like the the yeah. approach is to let the riot of life happen to to you know to pay attention to be careful uh, to be thoughtful and, and and smart and but also to be organic uh yeah to be, yeah
1: and so um, in the winery we're dogmatically organic also so
0: are you going to get your get it certified so that you can no because, say, because like,
1: the problem is that um the american organic standards you're not allowed to use so2
0: oh all yeah
1: the, the, all the other organic standards in the rest of the world you can use so2 and so So we're probably going to start labeling our wines made with organic grapes because that allows you to use the same level of SO2 as the EU allows, basically. Right. And so um, that seems, you know, that's more, you know, because I don't have a problem with a small amount of SO2, just like I don't have a problem with using some sulfur in the vineyard. You know, we don't use very much SO2, just like we don't use very much sulfur in the vineyard. But, um, you know, to me, SO2 is traditional and it's not um, carcinogenic. Right. It's just a simple and little time honored winemaking adjunct. And, and so it, and um, Yeah, um, it
0: seems like without it you end up with potentially not delicious wine. You know. Yeah, that's like
1: you know, like a, like a different I mean it can be really good or it can be really bad, but it's right. um, I'm not gonna go to all this work to then just like wonder Roll the you dice. know, and just like in the vineyards, like, you know, we we're hands on with our organic farming. We're not doing the Fukuoko, just let it totally go right. I mean right know, right again I'm trying to uh, um grow our vineyards so that they there's tons of nature in there that can live in there happily but the vines yeah. themselves were very focused on growing good grapes and the same thing in the winery we're very focused on making good wine so like in the you know so in the winery it's the same kind of thing you control what you can control with um craftsmanship so This wine's this wine's aging faster. We're going to bottle it earlier. This wine wine's aging slower. We're going to bottle it later. This wine, you know, this this wine is a more lighter aromatic wine. It goes into a bigger, thicker staved barrel. This is a more highly tannic, tight wine. It goes into a thinner staved barrel. You know, like we're going to rack this one because it needs air. We're not going to rack that one because we don't want it to fall apart and get tired. You know, right. It's, um, you know, it's just the craft of winemaking. Yeah. So, that you know, our wines are incredibly consistent, and that's not because of a bunch of additives. It's, just, it's because we paid a lot of attention to every single wine as it's fermenting and aging, just like we, we were paying attention out in the vineyards.
0: And so that's, to you me- know, so that, that
1: so in terms of dogmatic, it's like, again, dogmatic about the craftsmanship. Our trip is not just letting it go. Like, like some of the there's some wines that we drink that we love to drink. My wife and I that are made by people that their trip is letting it go. And I and I have it. So I'm not gonna. I definitely am a a fan of natural wine. And our wine is pretty much on that continuum, except that that's not our personal trip. Is I I just it's just that there's a lot of pride around it. What the, yeah, what the, the wines are well crafted, and so, so so they may be less exciting for somebody that really geeks out on like a microbial journey for the wine, but that's that's not our journey,
0: right? <laughs> so to wrap up the year, I'm guessing the the fall is is if you're adding any compost or anything, if you if you feel like there's a, a need for it, and otherwise. You're just letting things go to bed and go dormant and waiting. Yeah. Are you doing it we, in the seeding our in the,
1: seeding our cover crop where we where okay. it needs to, where our cover crop needs to get um, filled in more? Um, repairing, you know, the trellises in the fall after harvest. We put putting the yeah. compost on all of um, everywhere that needs compost. Young vines, weak vines, um, winterizing, preparing for erosion. You know, like you know, because. You know, we get all that rain in the winter as you know, and we want to have clean water. And we don't we'd rather have no water run off our properties, have it all infiltrate into the when it, in yeah. the ground. one of the things I really love is taking a property that had huge puddles every time it rained and after you care for the soil with good cover cropping, the um you don't get puddles anymore, right? It all right. The, the rain just soaks in like it's supposed yeah. to. And so um but you do have on some of the sides and stuff we need to put straw out and put some little barriers and and things like that to prevent any erosion. So that's kind of like the rhythm in the fall. Yeah, And we kind of skipped over the middle part, like after we get our shoots up and we get our, you know, and everything we had, we do have to pull some laterals in the shady areas.
0: Oh yeah. Okay.
1: But you know, the laterals are leaves, but we, you know, we, I don't like direct sunlight on the fruit. And so, but we don't want it deep shade in the vine either. So we kind of reach inside and just cut a few things out just enough to um so that you have some filtered light and airflow, yeah. but no direct sun. And that's and then you know that's all done by hand, and then and then we do our fruit thinning, which is basically done. We don't we don't pay attention to yields per acre. It's it's everything's on a per vine basis, just like the pruning, like everything else, and so. We're going, we go through and basically assess every shoot. They just go down the line and say, Oh, it's a skinny little shoot. They cut the fruit off. It's a medium shoot. Take it down to one cluster. It's a nice strong shoot. Leave both clusters on it.
0: Nice. And we okay. can
1: go through all of the properties like that. So, in some, we like, if it's a weaker vineyard, we put half the fruit on the ground or more. If it's a strong vineyard, we're barely cutting anything. And then, right. And then, um, so we have huge variations in our yields from vineyard to vineyard. And then, um, which is so good, good because you know it's all based on the vine.
0: Right. Very personalized. Like, each
1: is, like Michael Mara Vineyard, is two tons per acre, and Linda Vista Vineyard is eight tons per acre. Wow. Yeah, huh. big variations based on vigor. And um,
0: quality is equal.
1: Yeah. I mean, Michael Mara is this pretty this amazing vineyard, but man, yeah, it does not produce because it's so rocky. Right. And so, and, um,
0: and at eight and tons, then, you're and, getting, I mean, it seems like it flies in the face of, you know, conventional thought yeah, about the, low the
1: yield equals high quality is a complete and utter myth that's been disproven so many times and yeah. it just persists in our industry and it's totally unsustainable to be thinning your crop below what the vine balance is, it's totally wasteful of the right. land use, of the tractor passes, of everything. Right. Um, you know, it's it's a ridiculous myth that really needs to be dispelled. Like, it, it's, just, it's part of like this weird thing in our culture, like you have to achieve greatness through suffering. And so I sacrificed more of my fruit for for wine quality. And it's like, we got to get rid of this idea of like sacrifice and get to balance. It's about balance. um I love that it sounds so, like
0: a Cinderella approach to wine growing that sort of like not too much not too little just just right kind of that's
1: exactly it yep
0: is that Cinderella no that's I'm Goldilocks sure. sorry wrong, Goldilocks. wrong myth it's Goldilocks yeah
1: Goldilocks <laughs> that's exactly it is the Goldilocks principle yeah and so I was like, yeah, I'm trying to think of the, yeah, the gold—they call it the Goldilocks principle. Well, that's that's it, and it's all about balance. And so, so the, and the yields follow the balance. But but oh, there's you know, actually
0: then, a term called the Goldilocks principle.
1: I've heard that, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, okay, <laughs> I thought I was making
0: that up. Oh
1: well, I probably heard <laughs> wait, 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 it. So right. minds think alike. You know, and then the and then har—we can't forget harvest because harvest is. um. Um, is there's a lot more to it than just picking the grapes from the vineyard side. Because, okay. um, um, You know, we most people pick on piece rate, so meaning that they pay the people that are doing the picking by how much they pick. So they pick as fast they just pick as fast as they can. We do everything by you know by pick hourly. So every all of our employees get ten dollars an hour more during harvest, just right. because so they're rewarded because other people are doing piece rate, and making a bunch of money. Right. And, um, and then, and, and then it's like, okay, guys, we're going to pick the dead Fred vineyard today because I think about a third of the vines are ready in the dead fed vineyard. And so we meet out there and you see the, you know, see this little section is rocky, see the, how the leaves have turned yellow in the fruit zone. See over here, the little bit further down on the hill I see how all the leaves are still bright green. We're not going to pick those today. And so, so everyone goes and they just, and we go through the whole place and just pick all the vines that look like they're ready because they're pale green leaves with, you know, top and yellow in the fruit zone and they're on the La rockier area and that's our harvest for today. And then we'll come back and pick more when it's ready. I mean, so my job is running around trying to figure out when this stuff's ready and be like, okay, wow. it's, we're ready to tackle that thread again. This batch of vines is ready now and we go after that. and so. We, pick, we could pick our Cabernet vineyards, a lot of times, five different harvests, it's kind of like oh, picking wow. like, like, um, soft or something where they're just going through over and over again. And that's how we right. do our cab. And so, so that way it's another part of getting like ripeness at lower sugar levels because those vines are totally ripe. And, and we're not, we're not waiting for the other part of the vineyard to get ripe. And then meanwhile, our sugar has been going up day by day.
0: And are you? How are you making that pick decision? Other than just the what you described—the sort of appearance of ripeness Well, the flavor of the grapes,
1: the flavor of the grapes—but the appearance generally keys me in, and then you know, there's generally the appearance correlates with what we're looking for flavor-wise, and then the um, and then it's I like, can, you know, like we have our employees are all you know been with us for quite some time, and so it's like. They, you know, so we're kind of on the same page with also with like when it's getting ripe and you know, and we can taste some grapes together and, get, you know, when we can kind of look at the vines. I've been working with these vines all year. They know the vines and so it's like, okay guys, this is, this one is ripe. Everyone's like, yeah, okay, I see. They know exactly what I'm talking about, but but for me it's all, it's all, it's flavor. and. And, uh, and when i say flavor i literally mean flavor because most winemakers right. will talk about the tannins and they'll look in they're very focused on tannins and i'm not i'm focused on flavors because that's to me that's everything tannins we can work with in the winery you know if it's the tannins are a little harsh we can press a little earlier or do different punch downs or delasages or different temperature regimes and in rackings. I mean, there, we have a lot of ability with traditional winemaking techniques to like, um, work with the tannins that were given within the grapes, which generally though, if the grapes were, if the vineyard was balanced, the tannins are going to be great for the most part. But anyways, you still have the ability to work with our tannins to a certain degree, but flavors are everything. That's what it, that's, that's the only thing. You can't do anything about that. The the plant just gave you the flavors and then you winemaking, you're trying to protect right. and preserve them. Right. And so, so you, are so you that's you, what I you're pay not, attention to.
0: Are you doing any analysis of pH and bricks?
1: I look at bricks to make as a reality check to make sure that I'm not like um, <laughs> a huge huge mistake. But right. I don't look at pH or TA um, because it's too many variables, it's not actionable. I just, you know, I gotta go in flavor and make sure that I'm not making a huge mistake with bricks. It's it. too overwhelming Definitely. to look at other other factors. It's like, you, you know, then you're gonna get yourself into a like um tizzy, and it's just like, I need you, you know, yeah, you it's it, harvest is really intense, you're making really big decisions, yeah. and I have I, I like, I try it. a lot of it is that is what I've learned over the years of how to, how I, for me, how I can keep a clear head and make good decisions.
0: Right. Cool. So that, I, know, yeah, anything else we missed?
1: With... Well, I don't think so. I mean, we talked a lot about viticulture probably more than organic farming, but I think we covered a lot of organic farming as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, the way yeah. that you approach it is, is organic, uh, you know, from an organic approach. So I it definitely laid that groundwork, but it's, uh, it's, it's, Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you for that. That's uh, learning from learning from the master. Um, You know, I, I, I don't know if maybe just to end on this, is there anything, because I, I, I really appreciate your time and spelling all this out, but is there anything new that you've learned recently about uh, organic viticulture or just, you know, whether it's soil microbiology or anything at all that is blowing your mind that you, you're super excited about?
1: Um, I mean, I mean, I'm more and more and more just fascinated with the microbiome. Um, I mean, I think that that's, I mean, I, uh, um, just so interesting in the planet, you know, and how that ties in with the plant immune system. Um, the, so vineyard wise, that's I, I think a lot about, and I think a lot about the. I mean, I'm, I, the, I, you know, plant physiology, mm-hmm. I just really think a lot about that, the hormones and how they interact with the environment and how the plants communicate with each other, you know, the, via vapors, all kinds of interesting things. I just really geek out on like that's, that process between the, the microbiome and talking to the plants and the plants talking to the microbiome and then talking to each other, because, you know, like, you know, the dream is for the vineyard system to just be completely self-sustaining. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And the, the winery side is like, the area that I need to learn more is the, the microbiology, you know, cause the biggest headaches I've had over the years as a winemaker have been when like certain bacteria give me grief and cause lots of VA or stick the fermentation or right. in um, what are the different back, you know, like there's, you know, like we got a major problem with these, with, with what I'm just describing, and I, I, we we hired someone who just retired from From she was a Linda Basson, who's a yeast expert. Her like right hand, E.C. Davis, like when, like a walking encyclopedia of yeast. Oh wow. She's retired now in consulting. We hire her and describe the situation. And she's like, "Oh, lactobacillus mali. That's it, it comes from the you see it in apple in wineries that have apple trees planted next to them." <laughs> and i'm like holy crap you know these <laughs> apple trees are right around our winery uh, um, you know we cut them down which i hated to do because i love them but then we that, that solved our problem and and it really uh, was like okay i am seriously ignorant on so you know like
0: wow yeah that's amazing you,
1: you make, you know yeah so there's a lot to learn there so that's an area that i really, I really want to learn more about Um, You know, to help with our, you know, we use even less SO2, for example, or, you know, like, it's just like organic farming. Like, I realized there's a lot to learn about the microbial ecology within the winery. Right. And so that's kind of like, you know, an area that that I want to start trying to understand better. I've been reading books about cheese because there's been a lot of work on like microbial ecology of cheese caves.
0: Ooh, so, that is um, nice. That sounds like a yeah. fun hobby to get into, a delicious hobby to take on. Um, it's endless. It's so yeah. fun
1: being in this world.
0: Uh, man, well, I, I, you know, I, there's so many things we didn't get into and so many things we could get into, but I really respect the time that you have given already. This has been, uh, I think, just for anybody, any young person or anybody who's thinking about going organic or anybody who's thinking about doing their own farming uh invaluable invaluable stuff um and and you know to the reason you're so good at this i think people need to check you out uh if they don't know you i'm definitely going to intro you at the top of this so that people know who you are um but check out matthiason.com m-a-t-t-h-i-a-s-s-o-n.com um any any is that the best way for people to get in touch or find out yeah. more about you that's it yeah
1: uh-huh probably yeah uh-huh awesome. there's a lot of stuff that, you know there's some Song tv has some stuff they've done on us and you know and you know, there's a lot of stuff out there
0: yeah uh
1: and, you I, know, could, cause I, I enjoy talking about her you know anytime anyone says hey you want to talk about organic farming yes we got to keep dialogue going and, you
0: know, get it and grow it. It's, um, uh, it's, it's, a passion. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 hope that, I mean, it makes sense to me wine being, I hate to call it a luxury product because I, I sort of think of it as a necessity in my life, but, mm-hmm. but it seems like something that we could definitely go hundred percent organic on, you know, like the, we could afford to do that. Um, we
1: can yeah. afford to do that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Another person you might want to think about interviewing is Mimi Castile up in Oregon.
0: I did. I did actually. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah, she, okay. Yeah. Oh, Mimi's fantastic. Yeah. No, she's uh, she did. Yeah. And gracious. As yeah. gracious as you, the two of you are fantastic. And he's she's really she's passionate the...
1: as well. And she and she like you know made the statement that like wine isn't important enough to destroy you to destroy the world with you know but yeah. The economic, right. So how can we use the economics of wine to like repair land? And I thought that was a really good way of framing it. Yes,
0: that's exactly what, yeah, I'm trying to do. I mean, that's, this is, wine is the gateway to, to talk about these things and, and to bring attention to them. And it certainly should be the first on, on the spearhead of transitioning all agriculture to more sustainable, more organic approach. Yeah. Um, I love that. Well, thank you so much, Steve. I really, really appreciate it. And yeah. uh, I, I, yeah, I can't wait to do an intro for you so people know uh, what you can check out. You're making some really interesting wines, unique for Napa Valley. And um, we'll talk about all that in the intro. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you. Take care. Good luck. You're being.